Welcome back to the Act 2 podcast, a podcast for the real life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I'm Josh Hallman. And before we talk about a subject I'm weirdly passionate about, um, yes, please remember to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss out on any of our awesome topics that are coming up. We're going to be talking about Pixar's storytelling methods. We're going to talk about how to address notes, which is a major part of our job, um, world building, the rewrite process. We're going to do another breakdown series. So a bunch of cool stuff. Subscribe so you don't miss it. And if you have additional time, <laughs> if there's not another two, uh, give us a rating. <laughs> Write a comment. Uh, tell us we're doing great because we definitely need to hear that right now. <laughs> Help us. <laughs> Um, but if you'd rather just DM us uh, questions, if you have topic suggestions that you're just burning questions you're really wondering about, or you just want to say hi, you can reach out to us at act2writers at gmail.com. That's all spelled out. Or on our Instagram at act2writers. And you can also say hi to me if you want. You can find me, Tasha, on Instagram at storythursday and on Twitter at Tasha3.0. And Josh, where where are you? Well, mine uh, my Instagram is my name, Josh Hallman, and then my Twitter is Joshua Hallman. Oh, because so different. Yeah, because some guy named Josh Hallman, he's a musician and he's pretty active. Stole it before I could get there, so it's my full name. But I'm on Twitter. <laughs> More popular than you. <laughs> That's a good question. I, while we're doing this, I'm going to find out. I'm going to look. I'll give you an update in like five minutes. All right. Well, today we're going to be talking about uh, pitch meetings. So we're, we're doing a whole series on pitches. If you missed the first two parts, go back and, and listen to those. But today we're going to be talking about how to use visuals in a pitch and why would you use them? What benefit is that? And we're going to go into quite some detail about this subject because it's something I had to learn along the way and something that confused me and something I had to figure out kind of all on my own. And so I'd like to kind of share with you about my journey on learning about how to use visuals in a pitch. Yeah, I've benefited from your journey, Tasha. It's this is this is I'm going to sit back. I have my Twizzlers, as you know, Tasha and I are both eating Twizzlers right now. And I'm just going to let you speak. My horrible journey in uh, learning all of this firsthand through a lot of mistakes. Yep. <laughs> um, before we get into that, though, uh, we kind of let this fall to the wayside, but we kind of like to do uh, this week in writing, like personal stuff that's happened to Josh or I over this week. And I think this week in particular, a couple of things happened. So <laughs> I'll start. <laughs> um <laughs> So I got in a really heated conversation with my manager recently. And for me, that's just like me raising my voice and her being like, Tasha, and then her raising her voice and then us being totally fine after yeah. that. But that's heated for me. And we got in a heated conversation about a format document that I'm writing for one of my shows. And a format document is essentially, it's basically you kind of pitching what your TV show is going to be. It's saying here is why I want to write this show. Here's where the idea came from. And then here is what the season is actually going to look like. 
on paper, there in front of you. It's a pitch document, essentially. And the first version that I did, it broke down every single episode of this season of television that I was pitching. And my manager was like, no, you got to write out just acts one, two, and three. Like episodes one to three, that would be act one. Episodes four to six, that would be act two and so on. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do my version, which was the episode list, because that's how the show came to me. It didn't come to me in these sort of bigger, more general acts. It came to me in episodes. And I was really proud of myself because I got to come up with episode titles. And that's really hard for me. And so I was like, no, I'm going to do my version. And she was like, Tasha, just try it. Just do me a favor and try it. And if you're right, and this episode list version is better, then we'll use that version. But just try it. And I was like, fuck you. I am going to try it. And then you'll <laughs> see when you read the shitty version that it's not as good. So I did that like a little child. And I turned it into my writer's group. And my writer's group, I expected to side with me. And I was like, mm -hmm. excited going into group. And no, they didn't. <laughs> they held me accountable. They convinced me that I was wrong and that the better version was this more general act one, two, and three structure. And they even told me, Tasha, I can tell that you're not writing at your best with this acts version because you resent it. But if you just try, I bet it will be good. And so on the heels of my writer's group telling me that, I kind of angrily wrote this new version. And about halfway through, I was like, oh, they're right. They're all right. This is much better. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and turns out everyone, the producer, my manager all read it. They're super happy with it. And they're sending it off to the director now. So it's a long-winded story to tell you, don't, don't do what I did, which is when your ego flares up, that's something to pay attention to, that you could be wrong, even though you feel like you're right. And just try addressing these people's notes to see what happens. And it could open things up and make it better, as it did for me. It's a great lesson because a lot of times people just resist, resist and resist because you're like, I know I'm right. This is the way to do it. And your stubbornness takes over. Yeah. And I should say, I, as I mentioned to you, I missed this writer's group. Well, obviously, you know that. But had I been there, there was a very good chance I would have sided with you because in my head, I would have been like, fuck the establishment. Just do you. And then, and then, you know, maybe I would have come in hard with the pitch on why it should stay the way it should stay. And then Somehow my entire future would be changed, perhaps. I would have turned yeah. in this episode list. There is now a divide. The string theory thing has happened. There's a whole other timeline where Tasha did what Josh told her to do and kept with the episode list. Mm -hmm. And she's now homeless, probably. <laughs> Over in there, we live with <laughs> unicorns and we eat Twizzlers and we sit in mansions. It's awesome. All right. So here's what I didn't have the most productive week. So <laughs> I, uh, but this is kind of random. I printed out a script. I printed out a script that I have to get to my manager. And this was the first time I've done this in like, years that I haven't read something and marked something up on a on my computer or Adobe, whatever. And it was awesome. Like I haven't just holding a script and then kind of just writing in notes. And it's, I know you do it on the iPad and I do it on the iPad as well often, but this is just different. Like holding it in your hands, you just see it differently. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to explain. And something that I've realized, which I always realized towards the end of scripts is 
do you ever look at your pages to see how they look visually? Like you don't even read it. You just kind of like stand back and look and you're like, okay, that look page looks okay. There's not mm-hmm. a lot of white at the bottom. Mm-hmm. I haven't done that in a long time, but I, I remember sometimes I would early on like look to see if there was just too many blocks of text mm-hmm. on a page because then it's like, oh, I, I got to like parse that out a little bit. I don't do that anymore. I probably should. I haven't done it in a while, but when I printed it out, for some reason, I found myself like holding out the paper and I was like, oh, well, that looks a little weird. It just looked different. I can't even explain it. It was just, it was like, it was like reading a physical book. But your own writing. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was my week in writing. <laughs> All right. So today we are talking about visuals and pitches. Why are we even talking about this? Visuals are important, Tasha, sometimes in pitches. And we're going to talk about, I'm sure, the difference between being in a room and being on a Zoom with pitches. But visuals are very important. They can convey what you're trying to show when you're pitching your story. And it helps executives or producers or directors understand what the fuck you're talking about. It does because having been on the other side of that and having you know heard friends just practice pitch to me, as much as I love them and are am, am riveted by their story, I will still tune out <laughs> and I will still like miss whole sections of what they're saying. So imagine a total stranger listening to your pitch who has no idea what you're about to pitch them and has no personal investment whatsoever. They're really going to tune out hard. And so mm-hmm. you do really have to do this kind of song and dance to get them as invested and drawn into the story that you're telling as possible. And there are many tools to do this that we've talked about and we'll continue to talk about in our pitch series. But one very key way to do that is through visuals. Yeah. Something that we face a lot in rooms as writers when we pitch is just really low attention level from the other side of the room. And when we started having to pitch over Zoom when the pandemic hit, There was so much chatter about that terror that both producers who had pitches that they were going out with with their writers and writers were having with each other about how am I going to possibly sell anything over Zoom because you can't engage the person across the table as easily as you can in the room. You, You just that energy is missing when you're at a computer. And we've since, you know, learned to adjust. And of course, people are selling pitches over Zoom. But that kind of tells you just how important it is to keep a producer's attention level. And luckily, I don't have that many horror stories about pitching and someone losing interest. But I've definitely heard them. Um, You know, people who start snoring in a pitch. uh, There's the worst thing that happened to me, which is not that bad at all is just uh, one of the director I was pitching to kept getting phone calls and he kept having Mm. to luckily he was a writer himself so he was nice enough to silence his phone every time it happened but it kept happening and it just really messes with your rhythm but you know there's stories of executives saying like oh keep going keep going I'm listening and they're them getting up and just going to like pee in the (laughs) in the bathroom or like next to the conference room but keeping the door open so they can hear there's you know, people taking full on phone calls during your pitch, it can be tough. So this is very key to being able to keep producer attention. So this is another question to you, Josh, how many pitches have you done with visuals? One. It's weird because you also used to do a ton of like pitch videos as well, which is essentially just one giant visual. 
yeah, it's essentially like a, it's a very, very short pitch, but it somehow always kind of conveyed the message, which I always thought was like, oh, I'm going to make a pitch video and just send it in the future. Like that was what I always dreamed of. We're kind of at that point right now, actually, where you can just send these videos. Feels like it. I've made one pitch video for a project, but you know, I've just made pitch videos just to put ideas out there. And Yeah. And when you did that, you would still do essentially what we're talking about, where you would put visuals up like next to your head, right? Kind of like, you know, Stephen Colbert does on his show. It's just, you, you constantly yeah. had visuals flashing as you were talking. So yeah. even, even in a video that becomes really important. I hope things turn to like video. Not, no, I don't hope they turn there. I just hope it's an option, which I think it is. It I think you is. could, I think you could definitely pull it off. And actually later on, uh, I'm going to talk about one of my experiences that I had recently where we almost did that exact thing and mm -hmm. didn't end up doing it and i kind of talk about why but yeah i think we're definitely there yeah for sure i think it's totally viable to send a pitch video now so i know i'm probably jumping ahead but how many pitches have you done with visuals too many to count at this point uh, there was a turning point in my career where i just only started doing it oh really i would never not come with visuals wow but early tasha i did no visuals and that was hard <laughs> was uh, I think un unnecessarily difficult and the reason why it's difficult is is what I just said it's you can tell that people across the table from you are tuning out as exciting as you are as a pitcher they just kind of tune out and sometimes they'll even be confused because as we'll talk about visuals help to ground you into what you're talking about ground the producer in what you're talking about it's 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 like you're conveying the movie to them and it just is, they're able to to pay attention a little bit more so the the turning point for me of when i started using pitch visuals was i was developing a pitch for brillstein entertainment and it's the same company that reps brad pitt as a manager they also have a television producing side of their business as well and it was this weird Western show. And the only way that it was kind of coming to my brain was, was in visuals. And because it's a Western and Westerns can very easily feel like dusty old movies that are way past their prime, I wanted to make sure that the visuals I was showing and pitching were really exciting visuals that more closer conveyed what I had in my brain for what this show looked like. And so I ended up doing a lookbook essentially for this show. And what a lookbook is, it can kind of vary in specifics, but essentially it's sort of what the name describes. It's a PDF document that you can create in pages, you can create in Keynote or PowerPoint, whatever it is you're using where you're able to bring in images and text. And you essentially put together um, a book that conveys the mood and story of your show through images. And that can include, for example, a, a character page where this is my main character is Josh Hallman and it's the musician Josh Hallman. So I'm going to put like <laughs> some rock star images next to him. It's Man. not the writer Josh Hallman. <laughs> and um, I'm going to convey who Josh Hallman the rock star is in, in my lookbook. So they can immediately see that page and be like, oh yeah, the, the main character of this show is this rock star, Josh Hallman. <laughs> <laughs> and so I did that for this 
Western show and the producers were just blown away by it. And I felt like it was just kind of like the most basic work I could possibly do to convey my story. And they were like, oh my God, you are a genius. I have never seen anything remotely as amazing as this and we must work with you forever. Whoa. And I was like, really like this is really this is like a book report for me like from school like these are skills that i developed just having to study literature and being a writer and going to eighth grade like <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that's me was a huge turning point where i realized that visuals do so much more for you than simply talking to someone can do so can i just say something real quick please I have noticed that with visuals, like I think the bar is kind of low in terms of what are good visuals for people because I've shown visuals that I thought were just terrible and I've seen people's visuals where I thought were very questionable at best. And then I come to find out maybe someone got a job or someone loved the visuals and oh my God, it worked so well and this was so helpful. And you're like, wow, really? Like that was, that was like a copy and paste on like a white background. Yeah. And it didn't look good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah. When I first started doing these lookbooks, my agent was like, oh, here, Tasha, let me send you some examples of shows that have sold for my clients that have worked. And, you know, the way she pitched it was like, these are really good examples, Tasha. Like, if, if you can get up to this standard, you know, you'll have excelled to a different level. And I looked through them and they were exactly as you described, like none of the pictures made particular sense. They didn't seem like they were chosen with any real care. They were sort of thrown on the page in a way that wasn't aesthetically pleasing. And it looked like a high school or middle schooler did them. Yeah. And that was very confusing to me. <laughs> it's like, no, how are these like the X, but you're right. The bar is very low. So just at least try to do them. And I think you'll, you'll get far. Yeah. So they're, Right now, there are different kind of pitch rooms, right? Now you have pitch rooms that are on Zoom. You have uh, no more do you really have pitches that are in person, at least for the foreseeable future. But I'm going to talk about if you go into a room, because eventually we will be able to go back into rooms and pitch in person. And I kind of want to talk about what can go wrong if you bring visuals and then what can go right, because this was also part of my learning curve was as, as I started to bring in visuals. I realized that the space that I was going into pitch was not conducive to visuals. And so I had to sort of adjust how I presented my visuals according to where I was going. And what I mean by that is typically when you go into a pitch, you're going into a conference room. It's a conference room that's separate from offices. It's literally supposed to be for this purpose. It's just one big table and a bunch of chairs. And that's usually great because if it's one big table, you can put out all of your visuals on the table in front of you and there's plenty of room. Well, I have had many situations where even if I called ahead, you know, called to my agent and had them make sure that there was a conference room in the meeting that I'm going to, they're like, yep, yeah, Tasha, no worries. They got you scheduled in a conference room. Everything seems good to go. I'll get there. And not only am I not in a conference room, I'm in someone's tiny office and there's like mm -hmm. no table. And I actually one time had to sit on the floor in pitch because the place that I went to was, I don't know what, they lied about having a conference room scheduled and they were also doing construction. And so we ended up in this like tiny shitty corner of a space. And the only place I could lay out my visual cards was on the floor. And so everyone had to just like huddle over this oh, little no. space on the floor. And it was very embarrassing. It felt like I wasn't prepared. 
and it, I, I didn't get the job, but it's, it's something to just be aware of, I think. Um, so you're basically saying to adapt on the fly. You should absolutely adapt on the fly. Don't get really ruffled. If like, I've also been to rooms where the table's like super tiny because it's in someone's right. office and it's like a coffee table. And I'm like, well, fuck, I have like 25 pictures. How am I going to fit them all on here? Especially because as I'll talk about, I lay them out in a very specific pattern, which I cannot mm -hmm. do on a tiny coffee table. And you do have to adapt. And I get very nervous when I do it because I feel like the pitch is going wrong. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it's something that's going to happen to you. Just be ready for it. If you can, request a conference room if you need it you should definitely ask for what you need and hopefully you get it but you might not <laughs> it's i guess the moral of that story <laughs> so that was kind of my story about where i started learning to do pitches and like all the kind of hurdles that i hit along the way but what i think really started to solidify how i dealt with pitches came from a wga panel that i went to actually that they do for their wga members which is great where they brought in a variety of screenwriters to talk about how they present visuals in their pitches and it was a packed room which tells you that this is something every screenwriter wants to know about okay so um, you're not alone. This is important. And there's not one way to do this. There's um, a million different ways and there's no right answer. There were actually some really interesting versions of what people did for visuals. I remember one guy in particular, he was an older guy, which I only say because I think this story fits that cliche. <laughs> he said that he would bring in a briefcase and then out of the briefcase, he would pull an easel and then he would oh set God. the easel up <laughs> next to him and it would always be next to him and the farthest away from the executive. So he would choose a seat that was farthest away from the executives, put this easel up next to him and then put like a, it's, it's just a basic board that you'd use in for your science fair projects, essentially in school. Just one of those boards that you can buy at CVS or wherever. And on there, he would have different columns of act one, act two, and act three. And pasted on there would be a couple pictures of different characters that he imagined in the roles, like a George Clooney type or Joseph Gordon-Levitt, whatever that character is. But he would also write like nonsense down and print it out and then paste it on there. So it looked like he had actual script on his board. And he said all it was there to do was to convey to people far across the room that he had this handled, that he'd already written stuff out, that he, you know, was extremely organized in Acts 1, 2, and 3, but it was all a fiction. It was mm -hmm. just smoke and mirrors because if you actually walked up to the board and read it, which he said no one ever did, but if you did, it was just nonsense. <laughs> so to him, like visuals were less about the reality of the movie and more about the fantasy of the movie. Uh, the, sure. it's, it's just to convey that he had a handle on what he was talking about. But I did not follow that example. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not good at smoke and mirrors and just even thinking about that made me really nervous. Um, instead, I the two examples that stuck with me were James Coyne's example. Actually, B-Rock talked about him in our one of our episodes. Um, as, a, as a writer that is kind of his mentor, James Coyne, uh, he wrote Treasure Island for Warner Brothers, for example. Great guy. Eric Heisserer, who wrote Arrival, he wrote on The Thing. These two guys kind of summed up 
to me, the best way to, to use visuals. And what they both do is they print out cards that are like index card sized of color photos of different sections of their movie, whether it's uh, a location or a character or an action set piece. So like something, you know, say it's a big rig exploding. If that's a big part of your movie, they're going to put that on a card. And then they lay the cards out on the table in front of them as they pitch. So as I introduce Josh Holman, the rock star, in the course of my pitch, I'm going to lay down the card that I have picked for who should play Josh Holman, the rock star, um, which who would you want to play Josh Holman, the rock star? I mean, it's obviously like like Brad Pitt, probably. Yeah, naturally. <laughs> So I'll lay down Brad Pitt, the rock star. <laughs> and now because I've introduced Josh Holman, the rock star and laid down Brad Pitt at the same time, they are now, the producers are now making this connection that, oh yeah, now from now on in your pitch, when you talk about Josh Holman, the rock star, they're going to imagine Brad Pitt in that role, which is an easy way for them to follow along with your story. Now, to be very specific, what I end up using for my cards i will use the the five inch by eight inch index cards because they're what i've learned this is from a lot of uh failing <laughs> uh, a lot of lessons what i've learned is that smaller cards are really hard to see across a room and you have no idea sometimes how many people you're pitching to even though your email might say hey it's three people on your pitch you may get to the room and it's 10 people and the room is much bigger than you imagined it to be and maybe the room is so big that there's someone sitting way across the other side of the conference room table and they can't see you. So mm -hmm. five by eight in index cards, I found to be the ideal size for being able to see it no matter where you are in the room. I get my cards professionally printed at my local printer. They're actually, it's very cheap to do if you find the right printer. I find like staples and places like that to be more expensive, but my local printer prints them in glossy color and it's great. It's easy to do. Um, and it's an expense that I'm willing to kind of pay to make my pitch look good. And so that's, that's what I use. So what you're saying is as you're pitching, you use your five by eights and you're, you're like, Hey, this is Josh Hallman. Boom. I lay down a card for Josh Hallman. And then, Hey, this is uh, our second character, uh, Tasha. Boom. You lay down a picture of Tasha, you know? So, yeah. Okay. So people are following along. So people are following along. Yeah. Like that's, basically the only way I go to for visuals, that and videos. I actually tuned out the other ways that people were talking about <laughs> at the WGA panel because they just did not resonate with me. But I remember one big lesson everyone was saying was do not do a digital presentation. Like don't go in with a PowerPoint that requires a computer system and a TV to project stuff on because I've also tried that. And while it has worked for me in the past, meaning I could just, what I, what I did was, and saying this is kind of cringeworthy actually, but I would take my laptop, I would turn it around so everyone could see it, and I would just like hit the next button on my PowerPoint that showed the pictures, which is fine. It's just, it's not great. It feels kind of cheap or amateur to do that, I guess. So quick story, one of the first times I, I pitched, it was with a friend and I was helping him out on a WB uh, show and we pitched to some producers who worked, um, who were kind of like in the DC world. Friend had an idea, we worked on it together and we got into pitch. 
and we did everything on an iPad and we called ahead and they were like, we have the connections for the iPad for the TV. You guys can connect it, mount it up, whatever you got to do. And we're going to just mirror it. And we got there and it didn't work. And they yeah. had, it was like the wrong connections. And it was like, okay, well, we'll just do it on the iPad. And then like the Wi-Fi wasn't working. And then like all these things and we or something wasn't like, it was just one thing after another, after another. And then by the time we started the digital pitch, well, this, this maybe is like a little bit of a horror story, like later on, but by the time we got it, it was like midway through and they're like, oh, how much longer is this? So maybe try to avoid the digital. Yeah. That's exactly the advice they had at the WJ panel as well is stay away from it for exactly the reason Josh just described. Even though they will tell you we have everything figured out, 95% of the time it won't work. And I know that as an assistant because I sadly am the person on the other side of that in those meetings where writers have come into pitch or directors and I told them, yeah, sure, everything's set up, no problem. And I didn't fucking know how to hook anything up. That's kind of not my job. Also, because in studios in particular, but really anywhere you go that's going to have this kind of setup, it's confusing and nobody knows how to do it because nobody pays attention to it except the IT people. And guess what? A lot of times the IT person was not available when they said they would be or couldn't make it or were sick or whatever. And suddenly this person is out of being able to connect. So just don't do it. It's going to create a lot more havoc. Screw it. Just because it's easy in like your house and you can, you know, airdrop or not airdrop, but you can like mirror from your computer to your iPad and everything's connected on the same network doesn't mean it's going to work when you're at Universal and Tasha did not give a shit (laughs) to set up for your television, anything. I'm so sorry to the people whose pitches I screwed up. I'm so sorry. Breaking souls. And especially if you're, if you're a writer, typically when you're pitching, you're not going to need to show video components to your pitch. It may be very cool, but you probably don't need to do it. It that at that point, it feels like a lot of sort of circus performances of like, Hey, look over here, look how shiny it is. And it's taking away from the story at that point. So I, I cast my vote on not needing those kinds of things index cards on a table while seemingly old fashioned really does do the trick. So in thinking about how do you choose the visuals, this is is going to be a lot of gut check for you. But how I do it is let's let's start with characters. You're gonna want to use known actors like Brad Pitt, like George Clooney, um, you know, Charlize Theron. You're going you're gonna to need to use people who the producer will get excited about thinking about that person in that role. But the flip side of that is they have to fit that role. So if Brad Pitt is not the right person to put in that role, it will be clearly obvious that you're just pandering to them by throwing out Brad Pitt's picture. Totally. It has to be someone who fits the role. If it's an older guy who who is like an older scientist who like Ian McKellen grizzled, like it should be Ian McKellen. It shouldn't be Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I I also have found that if you're using actors that are completely in a different stratosphere that you just can't get for a certain project, and you know you can't get it, mm-hmm. like you have to like be reasonable. I feel like I feel that's what I have found where it's like you're actually putting the pieces together where it like seems like, oh, this is a plausible cast that we just have in front of us. Absolutely. You definitely have to be both realistic 
and sort of pick your dream people at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. the the way that you do that is again, you, you fit the person to the role. I mean, pretend like put yourself in the role of a casting director. What's realistic here? And I think too, something that I tend to do is if I do want Brad Pitt, I'm not going to just throw out any old picture of Brad Pitt and hope they'll get the point. I'm going to find him in an outfit or in a position, ideally both, that works best for the character that I'm pitching. If he is Josh Homme the rock star, I'm not going to go find a picture of Brad Pitt from Fury. I'm going to find something closer to like Fight Club, right? Like I want sort of that more edgy look, not the World War to captain so be smart about how you're picking your pictures and that's going to take time but spend the time to do that because it will look like you're pandering or that you just didn't care and i think one example recently from some stuff that i did was i picked gary oldman for one of the roles for my character it's this older gentleman who ends up being quite the villain and i found a picture of gary oldman in like a 19th century suit where he looked very gentlemanly very regal but also there was like a shadow on him that made him look a little bit evil potentially so i took the extra time to find the perfect version of gary oldman to fit into my pitch and it immediately conveys a feeling of who that character is so you're not just saying it's brad pitt you're conveying a feeling of the kind of Brad Pitt that you want in your movie. Yeah. I think another example too of this is like I pitched a character where his key personality in the story was that he had raw animalism. That's kind of how I described him. And I knew I wanted Charlie Hunnam in this role. (laughs) Just just like that, that not necessarily, I didn't want to like cast him, though of course I would. Um, it's it's more like that image of what he looks like and what he conveys. I wanted that to be what the role was. And so knowing that I was going to describe him in my pitch as someone who has this raw animalism, I picked a picture of Charlie Hunnam shirtless <laughs> lifting a bale of hay into a truck, which <laughs> like kind of conveyed the sense that I was pitching. So I guess that's really the point of what I'm saying. When you pick characters to go in your visuals, Pick something that creates a mood. It's doing double work for you, right? You're not only saying, hey, this great actor could be in this movie. Imagine that. You're also saying, here's the feel of my character. Mm-hmm. So that's characters for me. As for world, which is another big one, at least for me when I'm pitching and I'm using visuals, I tend to use visuals because I'm pitching in worlds that are not our own. And so I need you, the producer, to try to go on a journey with me (laughs) and imagine where this movie could take you. And so for the world visuals that you pick, again, I would say be very choosy. You know, choosy in terms of what parts of your pitch, what parts of your story you are going to actually convey in these images. Because you can't pick an image for every scene that's in your movie. That's too many images. It's going to be way too overwhelming. You got to pick key images that really just hit home the the world you're describing. So an example for me was I was pitching this kind of futuristic Top Gun movie. And the base, of course, is a very important location for this movie to take place. And because it's a sci-fi futuristic world, that could look a million different ways, right? There's also 
a bunch of different locations within the base. There's the mess hall, there's the break room, the locker room. But you can't throw all of those locations on a table and expect people to really pay attention. It's just too much information to take in at one time. It will also look very expensive very quickly. <laughs> so pick an image that represents that entire location quickly. So the mess hall, the break room, that's not going to do it. That's not going to convey the whole sense of that futuristic base. Instead, you got to find an image that represents kind of what just a, a look and feel of what that entire base could look like. And for me, I picked an image that showed the runway, a little bit of a runway, and like just kind of futuristic looking computers that had uh, like holograms and stuff on it. And I'm going to talk about later about where I even find these pictures at all. But that was the picture I chose to use because A, it, it felt like something that would fit with my vision. And it showed the environment where this movie was going to take place in a really succinct, simple way. <laughs> One example that came up, and I think it's just because we did the breakdown fairly recently, was thinking about Back to the Future. Like if you're pitching Back to the Future, I feel like you'd probably do what? Like what are, what are the world pictures that you would pick? If you were pitching back to the future, the car, the time, the time machine, Hill Valley, now and then the school, maybe like where the school dance takes place at the end. I'm mm -hmm. kind of jumping around. And it kind of feels like all you need. <laughs> yeah. Obviously McFly and like the characters and stuff yeah. in terms of like location. Yeah. I feel like you could just get, you get away with that. Here's our time machine. We're in Hill Valley. It's this place. Now we go back to 1955 and this is what it used to look like. They, you know, he's helping his dad run around Hill Valley and they go to school. This is the school. And then they're at the school dance and then they go home and Marty McFly saves the day. Yeah. <laughs> That's the pitch. In. I'm in. <laughs> what is this movie? <laughs> I would definitely do Hill Valley 1985. And I would probably pick a town square that's full of graffiti, uh, movie theater with a porn sign. I would pick mm -hmm. things that's not just like, here's a you know, courtyard from 1985. It's here's my specific courtyard and how my movie is going to feel every time we're in 1985. And then my next card, when I pitch what Hill Valley in 1955 is going to look like, I would pick this perfectly manicured town square. I'd maybe also try and find one that also had a movie theater that's starkly different from the other picture that's going to be right next to it on the table. Because now whenever the producer looks at just those two, if I only put those two pictures on the table, they would know kind of what my movie's about. <laughs> they would mm -hmm. at least know where, my, where it lives and they could imagine my characters moving through those worlds. So that's why that's very important. But I think I don't also need to find a photo of the high school. I think finding a photo of the dance is great because it creates a, a specific mood of what, um, that kind of climactic scene is going to look like. But we all kind of know what a high school looks like, right? We all kind of know what a mall looks like. So I probably don't need a picture of the Twin Pines Mall unless that location is going to be so radically different and so radically important. You just don't need it. So that's an example of how you can kind of pare down and pick the kind of world cards that are going to do the most work for you in your storytelling and your pitch. Yeah, and I actually think this is pretty important because... You, then you don't need to go overboard with visuals. Like you've kind of just said this, but yeah, if you can just do that and you're like engaging someone with your pitch and then boom, here's Hill Valley now, here's Hill Valley then. And you just, it, like, if you can just keep going with as, 
in my opinion, as few visuals as possible yes. to convey your extreme message, then you win. 100%. Just as you want to be extremely succinct in your actual words of your pitch, that's, mm -hmm. that rule applies here with the visuals as well. I think one example that may or may not help you is I recently did a pitch where the movie was set in Peru and it was this big action adventure movie. And yeah. it was really important to the movie that my heroine came into contact with ancient tribes and the jungle was definitely a character in the movie. And so the photos I picked were of a village that you might see in the movie and it had these breathtaking unique landscapes that you might see in the movie to again create the look and feel of getting excited about those sweeping shots that we'll have. I also put an, some native tribal Peruvians that she was going to come in contact with, made sure that you know they really fit again the the look and feel the the vibe that I really did imagine her coming into contact with people like that. Um, and then I also showed a terrifying image of the jungle to show that my jungle isn't just going to be a backdrop to this movie. It's going to have personality. It's going to have character. And this is how it's going to look. It's going to look terrifying. That Those weren't all separate cards. So something you can also do, because the five by eight card is so big, um, you can actually you know, put a, two pictures on at the same time. So you can have, in this case, let's say, a Peruvian native next to a picture of their village. So on one whole card, I'm able to put that down in the part of my pitch where I'm talking about her coming into this village. I just put that one card down and they see not only the people, but also a picture of the village on one card. It's a way to kind of cheat, have a few more photos than you might normally have, um, but also keep it feeling very contained. So setting versus world is something that I think is important to pay attention to. So let's say I'm doing a cop movie in a very cocaine-infused 1980s Los Angeles. Yes, this is yeah. another breakdown. <laughs> so this is, it's not a fantasy world, right? It's 1980s Los Angeles. It's not a place that I created in my own head. So the work that I have to do to help executives see my movie is going to be a lot different than that futuristic Top Gun movie. Because the setting in this movie is a 1980s police precinct. It's also maybe a diner that our cops go to to kind of shoot the shit. But the world of our movie, that's going to be 1980s Los Angeles. That's where the real fun of this cop movie is going to take place. So that's where I want to spend my real estate in terms of picking photos. Because I want to show people what overall 1980s world looks like, at least in my head, at least how I'm going to write it. So what's fun about the world? What's the audience going to love about it? How does 1980s Los Angeles look different than our world now? So I'm going to find pictures that illustrate that to get them excited about it. Do I also need to show the 1980s police precinct? Probably not, because they kind of already know what that looks like. Again, unless it's vastly different than what you think their expectation is, you don't need a picture for something they kind of already know. You need pictures for things that are specific to your vision. Which kind of brings us to the next point, which is how do you decide what part of your pitch you present as a visual? Like, I have my way to do that. Do you kind of have your way of how you figure out, oh, yeah, this has to be a picture and this is where I should put it? Well, I think actually what you just said is kind of where my mind's at. It's like 
if I can't explain to you, like I'm talking to you right now, oh, this is Los Angeles and uh, this is a cop precinct, unless it's like a radically different cop precinct than what you think it is, then I, then you don't need it. Like if it's something that you really need to convey your message, those are the visuals you should have. Yeah, that's my mind as well. And I think the only way to know what those moments are is to write your pitch first. I don't know if you do this differently, Josh, but for me, while I'm writing my pitch, my mind gets really active in terms of visually what I'm talking about. And so I start imagining the movie in my head as I'm writing my pitch. And I use that energy or those inspirations that come to me to start building a file of photos. And uh, I use Pinterest to do this. I, I stole that idea from a director who I was very surprised he used Pinterest. I was like, that's so simple. But he, for all of his stuff, and I've actually found this with a lot of directors, they kind of aggregate all of their images and videos on Pinterest. And it's just so easy to organize and create sections. You can create a whole character section, a world section. A, what does action look like if it's parkouring? You have your whole section on parkouring. So I use Pinterest to do this. And then when my pitch is done, then I kind of am able to feel out where an executive is going to need a little bit more explanation. Like as soon as I start pitching about a sci-fi Air Force base with futuristic technology, I'm probably going to need to show them that. And you're also, of course, as we said, always going to want pictures of your main characters. So spend a lot of time on finding those pictures, making them right. And then when you run through your script, I think your gut's just going to tell you where you need a picture to express your unique world or your unique take or, you know, what your vision is. You're, you're just going to, I think you're going to feel it, which is a terrible way of telling you how to do something. Oh, you'll, you'll feel your way through. But I kind of think that's, that's the best way to explain it. You're going to know when you I run agree. up against something that needs more explanation. What I'm just starting to realize is because of the world in which you write in, which is a lot of fantasy, fantastical elements. Like for me in my head, I'm like, I'm going to take it as a challenge to try to pitch without doing visuals. Like do this as a campfire story. But I understand why, of course, visuals would be much more important if you're like, this is a sci-fi, uh, you know, Air Force base. And like in your, like everyone's thinking what a sci-fi Air Force base looks like. It's different in everybody's mind. Like from me to you, to Dave, to anyone mm -hmm. else, you know, and it's like, you need that. But for me, if I'm doing an action comedy and I'm like, all right, this father and daughter are driving throughout Los Angeles. It's not like I'm going to like throw down the Hollywood sign and be like, boom, they go down the 101. They see the Hollywood sign. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I've actually never, ever, ever pitched anything that took place in modern times in our world. <laughs> so I, Whoa. I don't think I would use cards in that case. I would do as you as you just said, like bring, try and bring them in in, a, in the way that I'm telling my story um, mm -hmm. in a campfire sort of way. Because you don't, you don't really need to explain to someone what the real world looks like. The only thing that's set in modern times that I've pitched started in modern times in just San Francisco and then moves to a place that, while modern, has its own look and feel that's very, that's kind of creepy and kind of horror-like. And so... I did feel the need to, to bring in some photos for that. But yeah. Also, if you don't need visuals, if you genuinely feel like you don't need them for your world and your pitch, don't use them. Yeah. I think the thing that will help guide you about 
where to put visuals or rather what part of your pitch to pick a, a visual for is when you think about it, think about that overall picture that these photos are going to make after you lay them on the table. And this is the thing that James Coyne said at that WJ panel that really struck me is that he puts them down in such a way that it itself tells a story. And it's almost this kind of choreography that goes along with the words that he's using in his pitch where, you know, he'll put down a character that he talks about that he introduces at the beginning and then he'll continue to talk. And then maybe he'll put the uh, secondary character or like the, the villain on the other side of the table. So they're not, the two pictures aren't right next to each other. They're kind of mm -hmm. distanced a little bit. And then as he'll talk, he'll, you know, put talk talk about rather um, the world that this exists in, and he'll put that picture in between the villain and the hero, so that we realize like, oh, the the villain and the hero are are moving through this world, and this is where they're going to be fighting. This is where the showdown's going to happen is in the world. And so, literally, you have almost like this dumbbell figure of the villain and the hero, and this kind of world in between them. So that itself tells a story, and it's a snapshot of your movie. So think about too where you're going to place these photos as you're pitching them so that at the end of your pitch, your movie is literally in front of them. They could read your photos like they could read a movie. That's awesome. I thought that was very cool. I'd never yeah, thought about no, the photos that way. I would pretty much just like throw them down and also don't throw them on top of each other because again, you want that full picture at the end of the pitch that you can see all the, all the cards in front of you. Yeah. That one horror story where I had to pitch at a coffee table and they were all piling up was really pissing me <laughs> off because I'm like, you're not going to get the sense of the whole movie. You're just going to see like the last card that I laid down, which is not yeah. the point. That's great. I mean, I think we talked about this in another episode, but pitching is like, it's a performance. It's so terrible. Yeah, it's no, great. <laughs> I, like, I like that um, that way of just laying down cards like that. And you're like, here it is. The organization of it actually makes me really happy. <laughs> I feel like you're more you're more happy with like the organization of the cards than even the pitch. Like, 100%. oh my god, this is lined up properly. It looks great. You're not even joking. I once pitched and I had them all laid out in this choreographed way, and the freaking producers start moving the cards around because they're like oh, so no. curious by the pictures. And I'm like, oh, I wanted so bad to be like, please don't touch them. <laughs> Hey, I don't care if I get this job or not, but um, don't touch the fucking cards, okay? Thank you. <laughs> That's terrible. I have a, I have a problem. Um, so how, like, as we're saying, how you lay out the visuals, how you present them also feels important. Also something you don't want to half-ass. So when I introduce a character, I'll put down that character card. I'll have the card help me describe them. So in my earlier example of Charlie Hunnam and Gary Oldman, as I lay the card down, that's when I'm describing them. So imagine being the producer on the other side, you're seeing a visual and then you're getting the description from the writer as you're looking at this picture. It is this kind of showman thing and that's part of how you tell the best story. Mm -hmm. Also, let your card do some of the work for you. So when I talk about my awesome sci-fi Air Force base and I lay down that card as I'm describing it, I'm going to let the card help me describe it. Like, as I said, they're going to see like the futuristic, you know, F-18 sitting on the runway. They're going to see the cool computers that are on the side of the base. 
Um, so I'm going to have my description, but I'm going to let the card also like help the producers imagine it in their brains, if that makes sense. Sometimes I'll even like point on the card and be like, and then, you know, over here we would have this and this in our futuristic Air Force base. Use the cards. They're your friends. Also, as I said, I do super plan out where the cards go when I lay them on the table. I kind of think of it as a puzzle. And an example, let's say I am doing a 1980s cop movie, which please someone hire me to do a 1980s cop movie. (laughs) (laughs) So let's just call them Riggs and Murtaugh for now. Uh, I'll introduce Riggs and then maybe say something about Riggs that's very defining. And then I'll throw down this photo of a hot young Mel Gibson staring at the camera. And right next to it, I'm going to maybe put a picture of a man with a gun in his mouth ready to kill himself. Because that juxtaposition is really impactful. And at the end of my pitch, when they look at the picture of my movie, they're going to see, oh, right. Her main character is suicidal. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to put, here's Riggs, here's Murtaugh, and they're right next to each other. That's maybe not like the best way to use your visuals. But then maybe I'll put Murtaugh a little off to the side and next to that, him rather, I'll put a photo of a man with a big happy smile with a family next to him. And that's going to be at the top of my puzzle piece, right? Because those are my main characters and below them is the world they're going to be going through. So this is why placement is important, because as you can maybe tell, it tells its own story. So now across from across the table from me, if you're the producer looking at me as I'm laying down the cards, you're going to see at the very top is the row of my main characters and a picture of their defining characteristics. And then below that, as I'm talking about the 1980s world that these guys are going through, and maybe I'll put a card down to describe the villain, that's all going to happen below them. And that starts to create a puzzle that looks like a snapshot of my movie. So I think that's a good way of looking at how you want the final pieces to come together, which is why I freaked out when that producer kept moving my cards around (laughs) because it was no longer a perfect movie. (laughs) I understand. Knowing you, I fully understand. (laughs) (laughs) This may just be Tasha being very particular, but no, other other people are doing this too. If we ever pitch something together, I would purposely just kind of like nudge a card to the side you just to like, just to see what would happen. I would tell you what's happening. I would start sweating through my clothes. <laughs> like one inch to the side, just kind of see what would happen. So all of that is obviously if you're in a room pitching with someone, but what do you do if you're Zoom pitching? Have you ever used visuals in a Zoom pitch so far? No, not at all. I talked to, no, I've done no visuals. And earlier this year, or excuse me, last year, uh, someone had told me a story, like a horror story about trying to use visuals and technology, this and that, and blah, 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 threw off their pitch and everything was glitching. And I was like, nah, never again. But it seems like if it was a seamless flow of visuals, I I feel like that'd be really helpful. Yeah. I know you have. I pitched three times on Zoom so far. I got all three jobs, which is only to say. Holy shit, really? Yeah, which is only to say that these, I'm saying that because I used three completely different versions of visuals and each of them seemed to work somehow. So the first one was a rewrite for a huge fantasy action adventure movie. And 
I also heard the horror stories of people who have tried to use it and like the Zoom can't handle it or their internet can't handle it and they suddenly freeze and just everything goes haywire. I just had flashbacks of them being in the WGA panel being like, don't use digital pitches. And and also because, as you guys may already guess, I'm fairly, <laughs> uh, I don't know what adjective I would use to describe me when I'm pitching, but highly anxious is probably in there somewhere and mm-hmm. particular. And so as if anything goes wrong or anything kind of interrupts the flow, it does upset me <laughs> or like it does yeah. cause me to just like have to stutter and stop and and figure my way back. So having any kind of visuals interrupt my pitch felt like a nightmare to me. So what I did for this big fantasy movie was I said right at the front, I was like, hey guys, I'm, I'm going to have some visuals for you after the pitch to kind of talk about or to show you what, a, what I'm talking about, but just wait for that after the pitch. And then when that was done and everyone kind of, usually when you're done with the pitch, people kind of give their feedback. And then I had to chime in and be like, so let me show you my visual lookbook. And yeah. I just kind of did it from there. And I had the benefit of being done. So my energy wasn't as high and I could just go through it and they loved it. So option or pitch one, did the pitch visual lookbook after. Yes. Moving on to two. Option two was I pitched and then told them I was going to send them a lookbook after the pitch. And I prefaced that in my intro as well. And then I sent it to them afterwards. And of course, the negative to that is they may never look at it. And I felt the visuals were very important. So that I ran that risk of them just like never opening that document. But luckily, they liked the pitch enough to want to know more. And so they did end up looking at it. Something important about that is also I feel like people are hes- rightfully so hesitant to do that because they think they're going to steal their ideas. Mm. But I'm of the mindset. Everyone's different in their own right. But I'm of the mindset. If you're like, you really want something, you just go all in and just throw your shit out there. I would agree with that. And I I think the WGA has a policy of no leave behinds, which Mm -hmm. usually means like actual text. Because oftentimes you'll go into a pitch and they'll know that you read from a script because that's typically what all writers do. And so they'll say, oh, can you, do you have that pitch? Could you just send me that pitch? Or do you have anything to show us? They'll sometimes say. What they mean is send me text of your pitch so that I can use it to go tell my boss about your pitch or so that I can think about it more. And that's a big no-no. You don't want to leave text behind. But a lookbook, the the thing that I would leave behind in this case is literally just pictures put together. And there will probably be like a a text box at the top that says characters, yeah. a world, just to tell them what the pictures are and how they're categorized. But beyond that, it's nothing sort of proprietary in the sense that like I couldn't give that lookbook to someone else and they could execute my movie. They couldn't do that right. off of a lookbook. They could try, but that's not going to happen. And so I don't feel that kind of proprietary thing to those kinds of documents. And I also don't feel like it falls under the WG umbrella of a leave behind. I may be wrong. We'll ask Ben when he comes on, our WGA captain, when we interview him. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. You don't want to have any regrets. I agree with you. Go all, Go all in. Yeah. So option two, you email the lookbook. Email the lookbook. Which may or may not be legal. (laughs) (laughs) Option three is sort of the craziest one of the bunch. Option three was 
a bit of a, a circus, actually. So it was, a, again, a huge world-building mythology craziness. It's a show based off of an anime. So if any of you know anything about anime, you know how crazy the world was. And I had to somehow distill that, interpret it so that it made sense, <laughs> A, and made sense to American audience, B. And so my pitch... I definitely knew that I needed visuals, but this was very early pandemic. It was going to be to the heads of this studio who the heads of studios tend to have sort of less, assume they have less attention span, I think, than mid to lower level executives. They just, they, they want things to be like this. They want, they don't have time to sit there and listen to your hour long pitch, right? They, they, they need to move fast. And so our plan of attack was actually I was going to put together a pitch video and send that to them ahead of the pitch. And then the pitch itself, the, the time we designated for the pitch, would simply be to do a Q&A. Like they watch the video. If you have any questions, let's talk about them, which was great because I didn't have to be in front of anyone pitching. Like that's my dream. And Josh, you and I talked about this. I was like, oh, we finally entered a, a reality that like I really enjoy. Right, right, right. <laughs> But it didn't really go to plan. I I pitched and my, my boyfriend recorded me with our, our camera that we have. And my boyfriend's an editor. So he we kind of worked together to put this kind of interactive-y type video together where visuals were flashing on the screen as I was talking over them. Sometimes they'd come up next to me. Sometimes there would be little clips that we would show depending on what I was talking about. And it was... You could see the potential there for it to be really cool, but we just didn't have the time to do that because actually editing a video together that is very snazzy, that it that does have a high production value, that isn't cheap, is going to take a lot of time. And I don't think we realized just quite how much time it would take. And so I sent the producer a kind of slightly unfinished copy of the video we were planning on putting together. And she's like, oh, God, oh, we can't do this. We're not going to have time to do this. Um, we yeah. got to we got to think of something else real quickly. Interestingly, on like on that note is how we were saying the bar is a little low for images and, look, and maybe lookbooks. But with video, for some reason, I feel like the bar has been set higher. Like you can't just throw pictures up anymore. Like there has to it just is different now. I know yeah. exactly what you're saying. I wonder if the difference is that writers are are writers. We're not good at you know, putting together lookbooks. That's not something we're supposed to be good at. And mm -hmm. so, so many people do it without having these you know, skills. Yeah. But video, everyone knows what a good video should look like. Yeah. <laughs> and if a writer can't put that together, it shows. Yeah. You go on YouTube and you watch people talking in front of a camera and it is very well edited and then you watch a writer talk in front of the camera and it's not and you're like and the lighting's it, terrible it, it, they're sweating yeah, the lighting, <laughs> there's an echo there's this there's yeah that. yeah yeah so after kind of version a which took you know a week and a half to do or more uh, after we threw that aside the producer decided to step in and she's like why don't i put together a powerpoint presentation and I was like, no, 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 we're not doing that because it'll distract me and I can't like click buttons and also pitch at the same time. It's just going to mess everything up. She's like, no, 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 I'll do it. So she basically took the images that I had already put in my video and some of the clips that I put in my video and we shared a Pinterest account together so that she knew the images that I had in my head. 
And she put them into a PowerPoint presentation and we practiced it together so that we knew the timings of when she should hit next and go to the next visual. And that turned out to be spectacular. One, because the pre-recorded video that I did, I could tell that even though I was pitching with the normal energy that I would have in a Zoom, because it was a video I was watching, it just immediately felt distancing and less engaging. So me pitching live in the room, in the Zoom room, was still a level of engagement more than me shooting a video of myself. It's a level less than being in the same room as them, but it's a level more than handing them a video. And so I would pitch live, I would engage them live, and then my producer would click through a PowerPoint presentation at the same time. And what's crazy is at one point I actually missed an entire page of my pitch, which I don't know how, but mm -hmm. it actually ended up being like the climax or like the the way that I connected the whole story together. It was the most important page essentially of my pitch, but I missed it. And she like was like going like this, like on the PowerPoint, like going through the, these pictures really quickly. And I was like, that was weird. What is she, what is she doing that for? <laughs> and then afterwards she's like, Tasha, you skipped a whole page. <laughs> like I was trying to catch up with you, but we sold that too. So, and I think what was yeah. so special about that version was it was live, but I couldn't have done that without someone else going through it for me. I think this is the best way to pitch. Like what you're explaining, let's just, if you were in a room with someone and you're pitching and someone's just laying cards down or you're on a, you know, Zoom and someone's going through uh, different slides. For me, that's the problem with pitching it and with visuals is like, you're, you're like doing double the work and you're like, okay, lay this down now. And you have to practice it so often. So mm -hmm. it's muscle memory and you know exactly what you're doing. So that's best case scenario. Always have someone just do it for you. <laughs> that applies to everything. <laughs> yeah, you're good after that. That's the lesson of all of this. You actually reminded me of something in, in terms of when to lay cards down, because I've definitely forgotten in my pitch where to do that and then gotten lost. I will bold sections in my pitch script that tells me like, okay, lay a card down. <laughs> that's how mm -hmm. I, I flag to myself because in, when you're in the heat of it, sometimes it gets lost. But yeah, yeah, I agree. Like that was the best case scenario. And I wish I could do that every time. But unfortunately, you're not going to have a producer usually as good as that who can put together a PowerPoint that good. And we also in the PowerPoint didn't just have pictures. We also had GIFs and short videos as well that would play underneath what I was talking about. So they would play silently. Amazing. While I pitched. So we didn't have to stop, play a video and continue on, which I think puts a pause in your pitch that sort of ruins the vibe of it. I got to talk through the whole thing and they could just watch. Yeah. That's essentially like a video. You're yeah. just talking over visuals. Yeah. It's great. It's great. It's awesome. I wish I could do that every time. Emmy, I love you. Thank you for doing it. <laughs> Emmy, way to go. You did it. So getting to specifics, what programs do you use to create your visuals? For me, I'm very simple. So I just use pages or Keynote, uh, specifically for my cards or my lookbooks. For um, the version number three that we talked about, my producer used PowerPoint to put her thing together. Pinterest is where I go to gather all of my photos. And um, some other resources are pexels.com. It's spelled 
P-E-X-E-L-S.com. These are kind of more general photos, but you're always going to be able to find high resolution photos, which is extremely important. Take the time to find high resolution photos. It looks very cheap if you come in with blurry photos. And this is not only coming from me, but I recently talked to a, a woman at Amazon who she just randomly texted me like, oh, someone came in today with a pitch that had like, blurry pictures. And I was like, what the hell are you doing? Like, there's this ad, just don't do it. <laughs> why would you? Uh, well, no offense to anyone, but why would you even do that? Because the bar is so low. Like, these are the people who are coming in and pitching. They're not taking the time because they don't think they need to. I guess. It's like going to a movie and accepting a blurry screen for an hour and a half. That's how I feel too. That's perfect. Yes. <laughs> so weird. Another resource to find photos is shotdeck.com. So S-H-O-T-D-E-C-K.com. And this, this site is great. It was actually flagged to me from Trent Johnson, who's in our writers group, where it's this great kind of research and educational resource that like you can just search all film advertise like commercials that are out there and you can search by like keyword film title mm-hmm. color that you're looking for if you want to create like a color palette for your movie there's dozens of other criteria you can look through that they will just come up with a huge shot list for you basically it's very cool all right this is sort of where i may scare people how long does it take to create these presentations <laughs> For you and you did your visuals, how long does it take you? And also, how long did it take you to do your pitch video? Honestly, like days. It's not like a set of hours. It's days. Uh, The pitch video is like a week of just kind of tweaking and looking and tweaking and looking and then getting feedback. And I'm sure if I had just endless time, it would maybe be like 48 hours or something like that. But it's a commitment. It's a commitment to do it. You know, you can't like skimp on it. So... I, w- I would honestly say like two days yeah. of finding videos. <laughs> of like literally like 48 hours, find them yeah. wherever you can, but it's literally 48 hours of time. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I spend hours upon hours just looking for photos and I have to build that time into the time I ask for for my pitch. So if it's two mm-hmm. weeks, I know that I'm going to need at least 48 hours just to find photos and print them out. And unfortunately you're right like there's no getting around that work that's part of the prep of a pitch yeah now because we're we're saying that visuals are so important do you think it's also then important to hire an artist or a layout designer to help you with these things it's hard to say i wouldn't i mean if you can break the bank if you have endless money and you're like screw it yeah let's do it but assuming you're not that person I don't think you hire someone at first. I think you kind of check your resources, ask your friends, or just try to do it on your own. I would agree. I've never paid money for a pitch presentation, except for printing costs, like I said, so that they actually look like good cards. But that cost me 10 bucks. Yeah. I don't think you need it. Like, especially if you're just doing cards, five by eight cards, that's something you can print at home if you have a color printer. Mm Mm-hmm. And then if you're doing a visual presentation in your Zoom pitch, you can use Keynote or PowerPoint. If you're really bad at it, go online, just Google any number of videos on how to put pictures in. But it's a literal literal drag and drop system. So you should be okay. But presume, let's just say, let's just say 
you have no time to do this. Maybe you have a full-time job and you have a family and there's just no way you're going to also get the pitch done, the pitch script, and also get visuals done. Maybe, maybe then you'd pay someone. Or if you absolutely have zero visual sense of anything and you know you have to put some kind of lookbook together to present at the end of your pitch, but you know if you do it, you'll just mess it up and and make it look cheap. These are situations where maybe you tap someone to do it. I just personally hate spending money. That being said, (laughs) Mm -hmm. if you simply have to pay someone to do it, Act 2 actually has someone. Oh, Katie? Yeah, we actually, Act 2 actually has an in-house designer who has done lookbook Bibles for me and for a couple other Act 2 writers, and she's awesome. She is great, though. I, I've seen her stuff. and She's amazing. Yeah. She's fantastic. So if this is like a leave behind, it is kind of that number two situation where you're pitching and then you're leaving behind some kind of visual packet. Or if you're doing a lookbook Bible, which is actually something... We're going to talk about in the future episodes because it's its whole other thing. But at base, a lookbook Bible is kind of what I was talking about at the front of this episode, a format document of you know what your sh- whole show or movie is going to look like accompanied by visuals. That tends to be higher production value. So if you want someone to do that, our in-house designer, Katie Olson, is fantastic. Uh, she used to work as a layout designer at a magazine for various nonprofit organizations around Los Angeles. She designed their brochures and their you know, website designs and whatnot. She's awesome. And I talked to her about kind of what the normal cost for a book like this would be. And for her, and I would say she's on the low end, it can be between 200 to $500, depending on the number of pages and the number of drafts that you go through, because you'll present her with the text or a visual sense of what you want or whatever it is. And as she goes through it, you're, you're of course, going to give her notes and she'll need to go back and, and revise it based on your notes. So depending on how many of that she, she'll do for you, that cost can go up or down. So if that's something you do find interesting to you, you do have something coming up, you do want to see what a professional lookbook Bible is, uh, you can find Katie at luckydelaney.com. That's L-U-C-K-Y-D-E-L-A-N-E-Y.com, luckydelaney.com. I'll put that in our episode description as well. Or you can email us at act2writers at gmail.com and we'll put you in touch with her. And she's awesome. And wow. even though we said that you don't need a pitch, you don't need to pay yeah. someone for a pitch if you need to, she is a fantastic resource. We just, we just went a full 180 on that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting. I think I think visuals again. Like here's an example of of why it's so important in terms of just surprising people and and make them really buy that that you know your story and that you can tell it really well. I once told a producer very recently, I think it was just a few weeks ago, that I've done all my lookbooks and all my visuals myself. And he freaked out. He was like, writers aren't supposed to do that. That's what a producer does. That's what a director does when they go into a pitch. They they help with those visuals. So, you know, it he was kind of saying that I've only been with terrible producers if I've been doing lookbooks myself, but I think it shows that because writers aren't expected to do it, when you do do it, it really puts you over the edge. And it may be the difference between you and someone else getting the job. So I just, 
Well, I know we're wrapping up, but real quick, I this happened to me just right before a couple of weeks ago, and then this week I uh, was I'm pitching on something, and the producer was like, sent me on Monday earlier this week was like, here, here's a um, here's a lookbook. What do you think? And I was like, cool. What? What? Like I didn't even know it was happening, and it, it was it was perfect, and I, I was like shocked because it was the first time that I didn't make it. Wow, and they did yeah. a good job. Yeah. So are you pitching with that document? Yeah. Like in the room? How how are you going to do Why did you bury the lead? How are you going to do it? Right, we're going to send them the lookbook and then um, and then I'm going to pitch. Okay. So advance of the meeting, they will have theoretically looked through. Will there be text in it or is it just visual? Yeah, there's some text in it. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll have to talk after that and see if they actually read it beforehand. Because sometimes executives don't have the time and yeah, what care. do you do? It's all, I mean, it's such a crapshoot sometimes the leave behinds or leave befores <laughs> yeah which we may or may not be doing depending on if it's legal or not right exactly no it's fine <laughs> neither confirm <laughs> uh let's wrap up i guess with do's and don'ts for visuals this has been an epic conversation it's been long and i apologize but i told you i warned you i'm passionate about it <laughs> yeah Uh, I think a big don't is do not use pixelated photos. Spend the time to find high-res photos. I think if you can't find a high-res photo of the one you want to use and you want to use it so badly, resist the temptation and don't use it. Find Mm -hmm. a different photo that's similar. And I would say don't do it because it does look cheap and amateurish. And it's super easy to find high-res photos of the one you're looking for, right? You just right click when you're in google click search google for image it'll pop up the entire internet will find a higher res photo somewhere so take that time yeah if you can't find a high res photo you're just just stop (laughs) Uh, i would say also do not use too many photos i think i get caught up in photos are fun (laughs) and we're in a visual medium uh but this is is really It's hard to because I think just this small moment of being able to lay out the movie on a table is kind of like my chance at playing director. (laughs) And so I get the impulse to kind of overdo it, but rein yourself back. I think fewer, more perfectly chosen photos are going to have a far greater impact than having more photos. Yes. Also, do not do an amateur pitch presentation. I think an an amateur visual presentation is just far worse than not having a presentation at all because it's saying to the executives that you can't execute your vision, even if that's not true. That's what bad visuals are conveying to them. So what's amateurish? Amateurish is low-res photos. It's too many photos on one page. So like your eyes are just being taken to way too much information at one time. If you have too many different kinds of photos on one page. So if you're blending like your character pictures with your world pictures and they're all on the same page, that's going to be confusing to the brain. Especially because imagine again, that you're on the other side of the table and you're taking in this information for the first time. It's going to be way easier for my brain to see. Okay character page oh okay world page (laughs) they're separate things right so keep your images organized and something else that i think is amateurish is photos that aren't specific to your project 
or your vision. And I've actually seen this a lot in these lookbooks and these pitch presentations. And I don't understand it. You have to take the time to find quality photos that fit into your movie. Again, just picking Brad Pitt isn't going to do it. <laughs> That's a cheap shot. You got to find a version of Brad Pitt that fits with your movie. I agree. That's my do's and don'ts. They're all don'ts. I'm very negative. I will let me just say, do pitch with confidence. Pitching in general, I know I just said this before. We've said this uh, in other episodes. You just have to look at it as performance art. You are a, I don't want to say saleswoman, salesman, but you are a person selling a vision. You're selling yourself. You're selling an idea and you are selling your pitch. Yeah. So when you do it, just make sure you have it all like it's muscle memory. If you, if going back to sports, just, you have to keep practicing, practice, lay down with precision. Yeah. I practice my pitches so much that I hate the sound of my own voice. It's terrible. It's like a, a day two, I would say two to two and a half days of me just practicing. I don't know. I don't know what to say. We do a podcast together. Your voice is fine. <laughs> This is all just smoke and mirrors. <laughs> as soon as we sign off, I'm just going to go cry in the corner. <laughs> like, yeah, no, your voice is terrible. You're right. <laughs> so that's that's what we have to talk about for visuals in a pitch. Hopefully that's helpful. Hopefully you can take some of that with you in your next pitch. And if you do, tell us how it goes. I want to know how yeah. your visuals worked for you. It's, it's It's genuinely something I'm curious about to always hear everybody's I mean, I talk to you all the time. I'm like, what's your process? How did, I'm so curious. Like, I'll know when you have a pitch and I'm like, what happened? Yeah. Tell me. Take like, me through it step me, by step. <laughs> exactly. So you fired up your image when you did this. It's so, it's just, it's one of those things, like you said, the WGA got crowded because it's one of those things everyone needs to do. And we all need to kind of figure out how to do it. Yeah. As writers in our job, we don't get to hear other writers pitch. You know, we're not like producers. We don't get to just hear a dozen of them per project. So it, it is, I actually once pitched to a pair of writers who were also going to direct the movie that I was pitching and they're like, wow, it's so cool to like be on the other side of things. I had no idea that that's how people pitched. <laughs> like, is that how we're supposed to pitch? Like we just kind of had this back and forth of writers finally seeing other writers pitch for the first time. And these are very, these were very successful writers who just, they never get in rooms and hear other writers pitch. So yeah, I, I think this series on pitches is very important. Agreed. All right, so I'm going to take us out with our quote of the day. It all begins with the picture in my head. It doesn't begin with the word. It begins with the picture that I find words to describe that picture. Callie Corey. So please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act2Writers for more awesome writing stuff that's coming up. That's our Instagram. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or Twitter at Tasha 3.0 and you can follow Josh on Twitter at Joshua Holman and on Instagram <laughs> at Josh Holman and as always the Act 2 podcast is a production of Act 2 a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter this episode was edited by Paul Lundquist music by 414 Beg which you can find on Spotify 